Okay, uh, today's passage is Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. Hear to the word of the Lord. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling him to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and sit down. It is Labor Day weekend after all, right? Um, and, and in all honesty, uh, just thank you. Thank you for being here. I know you had a lot of options on Labor Day weekend, um, or I assume we all have a lot of options on Labor Day weekend. And you're here, so thank you. It's a joy to be with you. My name is Gabe Coyle. I'm the campus pastor here at Christ Communities Downtown Campus, and good morning. And I want to start with a question, okay? Um, what would you say is the worst feeling in the world? What would you say is the worst feeling in the world? Now, I think <clears throat> that was rhetorical. Some of you are about to shout out, and I'd beat you to the punch. Now, here, um, I think it's something that's worse than heartache or failure, um, although it's usually associated with heartache and failure. It's, it's something, I think, that haunts us more and more the older we get. And here's what I think is one of the worst feelings in the world. I think there's nothing worse than the overwhelming weight of regret. At least it's in the top three, right? You can at least agree with me on that. I mean, regret, it's that feeling that you've done something terrible, that you've done something that's not just hard to undo, but impossible to undo. Um, and it's in those moments where you play that scenario over and over and over in the back of your mind. You're asking yourself, what was I thinking? Or maybe even thinking to yourself, was I thinking? Um, and it makes me remember a moment when I was first or just beginning to, to date my wife, Allie, and I was invited over to the family dinner for the first time. And for those of you who have experienced that, you know all the stress, all the pressure that comes with going to that first dinner. I mean, first impressions are everything. It, it, has, it sets the trajectory for whether the family's with you or they're like, I don't know if you should be with that guy anymore. And so anyway, we're having dinner and everything's going according to plan. I had a really great outfit on. I didn't spill, you know, spaghetti on myself. So things are going well. <clears throat> and then Allie's mom asks a question. It's a real normal question. We've probably all heard it if you've ever been over for dinner. Is there anything you want in your coffee with dessert? Now, there are some really great, I think some really great responses to that question, right? You can say, no, that's good. Or, or I'm fine. Or you know, even better, no thank you, it's polite, it's direct, it really puts a, your best foot forward. But the only thing that I could really muster was, um, no, I'm a black man. And <clears throat> so, so my, <laughs> to which Ali's brother looks at, who's going to be my future brother-in-law, who's Nigerian, and then he looks back at me, and one of the driest, sarcastic tones just says, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're not. <laughs> you know, and it was like, it was one of those moments you're like, yeah, this dinner is going downhill. Um, first impressions, great. Um, <laughs> and you know, uh, 
There, there comes those moments like every Thanksgiving when we're having coffee where somebody says, hey, Gabe, do you remember when you... And, and to which I respond, uh, I'll be right back. I'm going to go stuff my feelings with some turkey, right? Um, regrets, we've all got them. I mean, some people say stuff like, never regret. You know, if it's good, it's wonderful. If it's bad, it's experience. That's stupid, right? Come on. <laughs> Nobody actually believes that unless you're living in a dream world. We all have things that we've done that we regret that we're like, man, if I were given the chance to do it again or to undo it, I totally choose the undo, regardless of the lesson, quote unquote, I learned in the process. Regrets, we've all got them, whether we like it or not. I mean, regrets, it's, it's that tattoo you get, you know, on spring break that's misspelled, <laughs> right? Maybe. <laughs> That's not autobiographical, by the way. Um, there's nothing hidden under there. Uh, for those of you who are Star Wars fans, those were the droids you were looking for, right? Like, maybe I regret that joke. I thought it would land a little bit better. Um, we've all got regrets at the end of the day. Um, those moments when you look back and you think, oh, if I would have only. It's those what ifs that kind of just linger on in our thoughts, right? And my stomach still turns when I think of, some of those moments. And honestly, if I had the choice, if I could send somebody back in time to slap me across the face right before those moments happen, I would. Like someone to just go and shake me and say, pay attention, you're not going to get this moment back, so do it right. And in one sense, that's kind of what we see in this passage this morning from Matthew. It's kind of a slap in the face. At the very end here, at the end of chapter 20, we've been in Matthew for a long time now, since January, actually since advent of last year, and, and this is one of the last times we see someone who wholeheartedly follows Jesus. And Matthew is kind of saying, this is your moment. Don't miss this king. Whatever else you got going on in life, whatever else is swirling in your heart and your mind right now, right this morning, put a pause button and pay attention. You may not regret it, you know, one year from now. You may not regret it 10 years from now. But if you still have your wits about you come your deathbed, you will be swarmed with what-ifs. And you're staring eternity in the face. And Matthew's like, don't miss this king. You know, as we've been walking through Matthew, in one sense, that's kind of what Matthew's been talking about this whole time, right? Matthew, who walked and talked with Jesus in the first century, he wants us to see who he saw or what he saw that that Jesus is so much more than we often think. He's more than just a first century rabbi who was really smart, although he was. He's more than just an empathetic person who wants the best you you can be, although he does. But really at the heart of it, if we can grasp one thing about Jesus is that he's the king over everything. And if that's true, if Matthew is right in what and who he saw in Jesus, then it changes how we approach every word that we read, read or that we read in, in Matthew's account here. Instead of coming and looking for bits and pieces of Matthew or Jesus' teaching to fit in bits and pieces of our lives, we now come with a wholly different question. Instead of asking, what do I have to do? I will do anything and everything to follow this king everywhere he calls me. And you know, this morning we come to a couple of guys who ironically see Jesus better than anyone else. And I say ironically because they're two blind guys. And Matthew wants us to see through their eyes so that we don't miss this king. So we don't miss this king. So if you, don't, if you haven't already, would you please turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Our story begins in verse 29. And Jesus, at this point in Matthew's narrative, Jesus is at a turning point in his life. Okay, He's leaving Jericho, and he's got his sights set on Jerusalem. 
And really, there's nothing geographically between him and his destiny, which is to die on a cross for the sins of the world in Jerusalem. Nothing's going to get in his way. Well, almost nothing, right? Because when you get to verse 30, Matthew highlights, and he grabs our attention with this word, behold, which is his way of saying, don't miss this. Pay attention. Look at this. And look at what happens. Okay, we have... These two blind guys, and they hear that Jesus is passing by, they obviously can't see, so they don't know how close he is to them. Honestly, I don't know how they even heard that Jesus is coming because there's a lot of pilgrims that are heading up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. So they don't know how close he is. All they know is that somehow, in some way, shape, or form, Jesus is coming, and he's coming through this way, and so they just start shouting. And why do they do this? Because even though they don't know where Jesus is, they've heard enough of the pilgrims who are going to Jerusalem. They've heard the stories of how Jesus has healed the sick, the lame, and all more importantly for them, the blind. He's given sight to a man who was born blind. I mean, this is unspeakable power. They've heard of Jesus from the pilgrims who are walking to Jerusalem, and they they hear that, um, that Jesus has all power, that he's compassionate, And they also have heard the prophecies of old that that God was going to send an heir to the ancient King David and he was going to sit on the throne. He was going to be the son of David. He was going to come and he was going to make all wrongs right. And everything they're hearing about Jesus is that Jesus is doing what this heir of David was to do. And so all they do is they give everything they've got, which is their voice. And they just start screaming out in the streets because they're never... They may never get another opportunity like this. It's not like they can just walk to Jerusalem. As blind guys, they're, they're more situated geographically. This is their spot where they kind of are sustained through the alms of those who are journeying to Jerusalem. And so they scream out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And I don't want you to picture this cry. Like when I first read that, I picture this like dry, feeble whimper of an older man sitting there who's kind of got one breath left. But, but that's not the kind of cry we're seeing here. This is desperate. This is, this is outlandish. It's a cry for mercy. It's loud. It's obnoxious. It's like when they're going and they're blind and they're screaming just to everywhere, they might have hit your ear and you push them away because it was so loud that it pierced. And so, of course, the crowds are getting annoyed at these guys. Of course, they try to shut them up and move them out of the way. But these, these guys, they're, they're tenacious. They cried louder and louder, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. 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 And we don't know how long this goes on for. It could have been minutes, but it could have been way longer as they're making their way through the crowd, just crying this over and over and over And over we don't know how long they cried this out but what what I love about this passage what we see at this moment in history with Jesus the one thing that we do know that just always it always strikes me kind of like stopping a semi for a grasshopper (laughs) Jesus stops for these two guys I mean think about that In verse 32, we see it, and stopping, 
He had his sights on Jerusalem. The weight of the world is on his shoulders. He's about to take the sin of the world upon himself. The creator of the world become created. God become flesh. And then to die, he's all powerful, he's all wise, and he stops. I mean, the rest of the crowd, they see these guys as a nuisance. But Jesus, he sees them, and he stops. And he calls them to, them, to himself, and he asks them, what do you want me to do for you? And without hesitation, what do they respond? They, they, they understand that he is the son of David, that he's the king over everything, that he's all powerful. Even their request communicates this. Let our eyes be opened. You've got the power to open them. You do. Would you just let it happen, please? And so Jesus snaps his fingers, they're healed, people cheer, and Jesus goes on with his more important business. That's actually not what we see here, is it? You know, something we need to understand about the blind in the first century is that they're the untouchables. There's this whole group of the untouchables. Another word for it in the first century was that they were unclean. Somehow their blindness was seen as like a contagion. Maybe it was a sin contagion, maybe it was a physical contagion, so you didn't want to touch them. Because if you touch them or you got near them, maybe you would get it. It would get caught on you. And what do we see Jesus do here? These guys who've been ostracized their whole lives, even the crowd here is just trying to shut them up and move them out of the way. Jesus actually doesn't say a word, does he? The passage says he touches their eyes. Not a word. Arms length away from these guys. Touches their eyes. And immediately they're healed. And like a, like a bolt of lightning, they can see. And what's the first thing they see? Who's the first thing? The person they see. But it's the eyes of compassion of Jesus. An arm's length away from guys who'd been written off from society. So there they were. I mean, all this shouting, the ridicule, in a sense, the debasing, people getting ticked at them, and yet every bit of it was worth it. Right? At this side of the story, we know all of it was worth it. But we can't stop there because the story doesn't end there. Jesus doesn't, or Matthew doesn't end with the note of healing, does he? Look with me at the end here in verse 34. What do they do with this newfound vision? Where do they go? Do they just thank Jesus and leave? Do they go find their family and friends? Look with me instead. We read, and immediately they recovered their sight. And don't miss this. Immediately they recovered their sight. And what does the text say? Say it out loud followed him. They followed him. Why? Because they knew who Jesus was and who Jesus is. He's the king. And when the king touches your life and changes your life, the only appropriate, the only great, thankful response is to now follow him in everything. And that's what we've seen time and time again throughout these weeks in Matthew whether it be the struggle with forgiveness and to always chase forgiveness, always. Whether it's the question of marriage and divorce and singleness, what's God's design? Whether, whether it's this issue of status and always trying to choose the top level, the top rank instead of choosing the lowest road of service as Jesus does time and again. Time and again we see our assumptions are challenged. And Jesus asked the question, will you trust me? I'll touch your life. I'm here for you, but will you trust me? And when we, I, 
you know, I was thinking about this, and it's such a short story, but we can't miss it. It really is like a slap in the face. It's quick, and then it's done, right? But the sting, it kind of lingers on for a bit. And I was thinking about this sting in my own life when I think about this 21st century world that we live in in my own daily rhythms. And wherever you're at this morning, these guys really do become teachers for us, don't they? Teachers on how to not miss Jesus before it's too late. Because there are things in our lives that can cause us to miss this king. There are things in our lives that will fill us with regret. There are things that we'll wish we could go back and change. So, so what, can, what can cause us to miss this king? What can we learn from these guys? You know, I was thinking about this too, and I, I could have given you a list of three things because pastors like to give things in three. And I love to put things in acrostics or alliteration. Kevin could tell you, you know, I always just start things with the same letter. It's just fun and annoying for a lot of people. Um, <laughs> But here, it would have been beautiful, I'm guaranteed. Um, (laughs) But the reality is, the more I thought about what's, and studied this text, there's really only one major obstacle, only one. What makes you miss this king more than anything? The answer to that question actually comes in in the question that Jesus asks these men, these two men. A question he's asked different people at different points throughout Matthew's gospel and throughout the, the four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here's the question. What do you want me to do for you? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself that question? I want you to close your eyes for a second, which I know freaks some people out, so if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. But if you want to close your eyes for a second, um, imagine you're standing before Jesus, and he asks you this question. What do you want me to do for you? He heard your cries He stops, and he asks you that question. What's your answer? What's your answer? You owe it to yourself, and you owe it to Jesus to be very honest about what your answer is there. Okay, look up here, look up here. Because listen, because listen, if if you want the wrong thing, you'll always miss this king. If you want the wrong thing, you'll always miss this king. Isn't that what we saw last week? I mean, Jesus, he asked the mother of James and John who came groveling before Jesus, and he asks her the same question, what do you want? And what's her answer? I want you to give my sons these place of prominence. I want you to give my sons these place of prominence. And what's Jesus say in response? Do you even know what you're asking? Are you, you don't get me. You don't get what I've come to do. And he has to give her a whole lesson on who he actually is and what he's come to do in the world. She wanted the wrong thing, and so she, she missed what it meant to follow this king. But in our passage today, the beauty of these two blind men is that they see things so much more clearly than most of us. And what's, what's at the center of the cry for these wise men? One thing is true of both the, the mother of James and John and, and these two blind men. They both see Jesus as the son of David. They both see him as the king, don't they? So that can't be the difference. What's the difference? These blind men, they come and they cry for mercy. They just cry for mercy. And when Jesus asks them what they want out of this, what's their, what's their response? Give us sight. And I don't think it's far-fetched to say what they're really wanting is to see Jesus. Because when they're given sight, what do they do with it? They stare at him and they follow him. 
because it's not just about receiving sight so you can now go live, the wor- live your life the way you want to live it and see the world through your own eyes. No, for them, they knew that real sight wasn't just being able to see, but now learning to see as Jesus sees. That's what it means to follow him. And when you want the wrong thing, you're going to always miss this king. And they weren't content with anything other than Jesus. I want you to listen to this, okay? For the mother of James and John, Jesus was a means and his blessing, the end. But for these blind men, Jesus' blessing is the means, and Jesus is the end. Let me repeat that, okay? Listen to this. For the mother of James and John, Jesus was a means, he was the tool, and his blessing was their end. But for these blind men, Jesus' blessing is the means. That's the tool, but Jesus at the end is the end. And if that's at the center of what you want, If you want, what you want from Jesus is Jesus, then the crowds won't be able to stop you when they're shouting at you to be quiet and get out of the way. No matter what people say or do, nothing will be able to stop you from chasing after Jesus to follow this king. And listen, if you you want to see him for him, you'll never miss him. And here's why. Actually, it's not because you're so great. It's because of who Jesus is, right? Right? Because we find the promise that he'll always stop for those who are genuinely seeking him. He'll always stop for those who genuinely seek him. Nothing can stop him from coming to you. The one who has all power, the one who is God become flesh, the creator become created, who's heading towards his ultimate trajectory, which was to die on a cross for the sin of humanity and then to rise again that he might renew a broken world that he created, he stops as soon as the cries for mercy begin to flow. And with the same sort of confidence that these two blind men come to Jesus, we can also come to Christ and cry for mercy. And we're guaranteed that he will stop for us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. So don't miss this, King. Now's the time. Whatever you've been wrestling through, maybe you've been going and you've been here for the past few weeks, now's the time. Maybe there's one part of your life where you know, okay, when I look at how God is revealed within Scripture that I'm just kind of holding on to this tight, now's the time. Follow this king in everything. Or you'll find that you follow him in nothing. Don't miss this king. Don't miss this king. And today... I want to end our time in a little bit different, um, different way than we normally do. Um, Matthew, he ends on a final note with following Jesus, right? That is the final note of this passage. And when we're given sight, we don't want to just see, but we really want to learn to see as Jesus sees. And so I want to focus on where we often miss him most. And that's where we find ourselves most of the time, which is in our work, in our work. This is where I think we wrestle with the crowds the most. I think this is where some of our deepest desires are fleshed out. I also think this is the source of so much regret in our lives. And, and, and so we're, we're going to do something a little bit differently. We're, we're going to, with it being Labor Day weekend, this, this weekend that was originally created to help celebrate work as good and actually the work of others, um, I thought it might be good to interview two members of Christ's community um, 
two women who I think exemplify these two men who are blind and see and now long to see the world wholly differently as they seek to follow Jesus. Two women whom I think we can learn with and learn from as they're seeking to follow Jesus in everything, especially where they are most of the time throughout the week. And they're nine to five, seven to seven, or they're three 12-hour days, you know, <laughs> however your work week shapes out. So why don't we welcome Lori Wetmore and Sarah Ramey with us this morning. See, and already they're amazing. I told them I'd bring up this microphone, and Lori's like, yeah, you didn't. Um, yeah, well, speaking of regrets, I forgot it was the, not the 10 o'clock service, so I was ready to read scripture. So <laughs> you really messed up. This nice. <laughs> well, great. Well, it's really, really wonderful to have you both up here this morning. Thank you for, you're coming, coming for both services. So they're doing double duty. Um, so give them another round of applause for that, right? Awesome. And uh, for being willing to be up here uh, with me this morning to just be transparent and even talk a little bit more about how following this, this King Jesus and everything really does transform the way you look at work. So to start off, um, I thought it might be good um, for you each to just give us a little introduction to you and even your, your, your work, where you're going to be at this time Tuesday, right? And even how long you've been in your current position. So why don't we start there? So uh, I worked for Children's Mercy for 10 years after I got my BS, and it was during that time that I got my master's as well, and I started really um, thinking about, uh, you know, what actually my call was in life, um, and I began to feel a draw to missions, um, and part of that came out of a failed marriage, um, so I'd been married five years, and it really started making me question how I was making decisions about my life in general and where my life was headed. And in that process and that draw for missions, I chose to go back and get my PhD, realizing that my PhD could open doors pretty much anywhere in the world. Hmm. And so I left Children's Mercy and went back and got my PhD. And while I was working on my dissertation, I uh, was asked to teach a course at Jewel, William Jewell College, uh, by a friend who had worked with me at Children's Mercy that had gone there to start teaching. And I figured out I liked it. Weird. Uh, and I've pretty much been at Jewel ever since. So I've been at William Jewel for about 15 or 16 years. Hmm. And uh, there's more to that story, but we'll leave it at that. Well, my story isn't really very direct either. It's kind of like Lori's. I started, actually, I graduated from um, design school with a degree in interior design. And I graduated in 2009 when the economy was really down. And there weren't any de in design jobs. So I was working at the time in visual merchandising for, for Gap in, in retail. And I loved it, but I thought, what am I going to do? I have this degree in interior design. I really want to use it. And through some connections I'd made in college, I actually ended up right down here in the crossroads working for um, a home furnishing store and helping out with visual merchandising and design and um, got to do a lot of buying and purchasing. It was a great experience, a very trying experience, but it really just wasn't where I the career I wanted to be on. I knew I wanted to be able to grow and move forward in a career. And through um, really great mentors and through a lot of um, 
talking to people and, and trial and error, I um, actually ended up in advertising. Um, I had a lot of skills that transferred into the advertising industry, so that's where I'm at, I am now. Um, I work in client engagement, which is essentially I'm a client, I'm a liaison between uh, the client and the agency. So I represent the agency to the client and the client to the agencies. And I've been doing that for three years now, so and specifically in travel marketing, representing um, a large hotel company. So now with some context around us knowing who you are, what you do, and how that informs one another, um, I, I wanted to, you know, even as I was thinking about this passage, C.S. Lewis's quote came to mind. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And I know you both have been through Razor's Leadership Pathway. I, both, I, I know you both have read one of our senior pastor's books, Tom Nelson, his book, Work Matters. And I wanted to ask, just for all of us, how have you seen what Lewis talks about here to be true for you and your work? Boy, I mean, it's extremely true. I think hmm. uh, the gospel has absolutely transformed the way I see my work. Hmm. Um, because of the client interactions I have, the place that I'm working in specifically, I know that the, the very little things that I do, um, whether it's a website build project or how I'm interacting with my team members or how um, I'm speaking with my client, how I'm communicating with them, I know that those are avenues and ways for me to honor God and to please Him hmm. in what I'm doing. Um, and they're not trivial, but they're very purposeful and they're very meaningful. Uh, for me, it came down to that time that I was choosing to get a PhD. At that time, God gave me a life verse, and it was Isaiah 58, 12. And in the King James, it says, And they that shall be of thee shall build up the old waste places. They sh thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, um, and uh, thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of paths to dwell in. And I realized that I was being called to, to teach, hmm. and there were a lot of layers that went with that. Um, but I also felt this tug for missions, and so I actually went out with uh, what used to be International Institute for Christian Studies, and now it's called Global Scholars, and I was a visiting professor in Portugal for a year in Lisbon, at the University of Lisbon, and I sold everything. I left. I was ready to stay there forever, and I loved it. Um, and after a year, the only way that I could stay was to be a researcher and to give up teaching, and that was a stomach punch. Um, mm because I knew in a lot of conversations that I've been having with the Lord that my call, my vocation was teaching. And so I came back to Jewel, and I have to say I didn't come back happy, hmm. um, but I came back in peace, hmm. um, knowing that I didn't get the right, to write the script of my life, but that God hmm. had a plan. Hmm. Maybe a, a little turn here, even as we're thinking of work, and what part of your daily work do you find it the easiest to miss Jesus? <laughs> As you're thinking about those daily rhythms, the flow. I don't know about you, but this was the easiest one to answer, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, let's see, the list is so long. Let's just name a few. Uh, faculty politics, administrative paperwork, um, mm, mm, mm. and just basically long hours. Um, mm. I basically don't stop working when I go home. Um, mm. And I work six, I'm on campus at least six days a week. Mm. Yeah, this is a very easy question to answer. Um, how do I miss Jesus? I think it does change from season to season. Um, hmm. Hmm. But I think right now, um, 
the way that it's easiest for me to miss Christ in my daily interactions is in, um, I think in the workplace there's a little bit of a, a, it's like a formula. I think you think if, or maybe I'm the only one who thinks this, but if you have, if you say the right thing or you execute a project well, then the client's reaction or the result will be really positive. And uh, working in communications and working in essentially relationship building on a daily basis, um, that's not the case. <laughs> I'm working with real people who have, um, you know, their own stresses in life. They have their own expectations that are placed on them, um, personal and professional and a lot of times, my team and I are dealing with very harsh reactions to what we're doing. And I, mm. if I write a great email, it doesn't mean I'm going to get a great response. If I mm. uh, present something really well, it doesn't mean that it will be received really well. And so I think right now, it's the easiest for me to miss Jesus and how he's using other people to shape me, specifically my clients. And um, because those are interactions that my clients may be unexpected reactions to our work and to me mm. are ways that Christ is using them to shape me and to mold me. And um, I often miss the opportunity to learn how I can better serve them and how mm. I can better exemplify Christ to my clients and to my team um, through pretty unexpected things. Mm. So maybe to just wrap all of this up, um, what would be one word of advice you would give to people who are struggling to follow Jesus as king over their work in their work? right now? I think the word of advice I would give is that um, if you've given your life to Christ, then he is there with you hmm. and your work environment, whether you call on him or not. Hmm. And hmm. he is there with you at work just as much as he is in your life outside of hmm. work. Hmm. And um, I would encourage people to remember that God cares. He cares mm. deeply for us in our work, and he cares deeply for us in what we execute. And um, I would encourage people to call on that and call on Christ and take full advantage of the wisdom he offers mm. and even the smallest details of work, whether it's prioritizing what we're going to do that day, how we care mm. for our team members, um, or how we communicate with our client and, and producing that all in excellence under God. I think for me, it really came home when I did come back to Kansas City. Um, mm. It was obvious God wanted me at William Jewell, and I had to get over being mad about that. <laughs> uh, mm. I had to get mad, over being mad about the way things worked at mm. Jewell, and mm. I also had to get over being mad that I was, at a, I was in Kansas City. <laughs> um, and, and somehow embrace that job, you know, and, and make that... Uh, you know, just be willing to say, okay, God, this is where you have me. Give mm. me the grace to embrace this place and to be what I'm supposed to be here. Um, and I think also I had to get over being mad with being given a job that's impossible. Mm. I, the things that I'm required to do in a single day, no human being can do and do them well, all of them. Mm. And so that was my major frustration. And so I finally just realized you know, I'm like, God, every day I'm having to ask you just to give me the grace to do my job. And he's like, and your point is? <laughs> oh, that is the point, isn't it? Hmm. And so I think that is what I have learned these past few years hmm. is that every day I go to work saying, God, give me the grace hmm. to do and be what you've called me to be here today. Hmm. And somehow, every day, he gives me the capacity to do that. 
Well, thank you so much to the both of you for, um, yeah, being here this weekend, for being up here with me today, and for sharing a bit of your story with all of us that we can all grow. And following Jesus where we often miss him most is where we spend most of our time in our work. Um, and to learn to not just see, but to see as Jesus sees in every aspect of our lives. So with that, I'd love to pray um, for both of you and for all of us. And then we're going to transition to the Lord's table, okay? As we now focus once again and returning to why we long to see as Jesus sees because of what he has done for us and who he is, okay? Our great God, you are a great worker. Um, you are a cre the creator, and you've called us to be co-creators and even um, by your grace to continue to cultivate the earth, whatever vocation that is called us to be a part of. And this is good. This is why you've created us to work six days and rest one, because ultimately we are designed to give ourselves away to our neighborhood, city, and world. And God, I thank you both for Lori and Sarah, for their good work and where you've placed them. I pray, Lord, you'd continue to bless them and give them sight. In areas where it's murky, that you would help them have insight. In areas where there's difficulty, may you give them courage. And may you bless the work of their hands. And I pray the same for all of us, God, that as we seek to not just be touched by you, but to then, in response, out of gratitude, not guilt nor compulsion, but out of gratitude, follow you because we know within you is the good life. Within you is the best way to live, to be truly human as you've designed us to be. So God, may we have ears to hear. Oh, and may we have eyes to see the beauties of the gospel in every facet of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you both.